The life of a TV reporter would never be an easy one. You'd be, at a moment's notice, flown to a different part of the country or the world to report on a situation that may not even be safe, let alone what you want to do. Think of it, you might have family functions that you've committed to that, bang, you're just gone and not available because that's what the job entails. You get these phone calls early in the morning that get you up and going. You have to go and condense a very complex situation into a two to three minute segment all the while communicating clearly, looking great on camera. There are some very strong lessons that I think would apply to the rest of us that we can learn from someone who's had these kind of experiences and in the process met some amazing people and had some scary experiences as well. Thrilled that she could be my guest. Let's hear what she says. Welcome to the Get More Success Show. Measured a man's success by the size of his wife. It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Mary. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I'm your host, Warwick Mary. Now, today, uh, I have one of my favorite media stars. Well, when I say media stars, she's spent over 25 years reporting for Channel 7. She's met some amazing people, uh, including Sir Richard Branson. I, in fact, I've seen a photo of Richard Branson kissing her on the hand as the gent that he is. Uh, she has had some really exclusive things. She was there talking about Chappelle Corby's arrest and trial, the Bali 9 drug arrest. She's done some exclusive reporting with Dr. Giant Patel, who was known in Australia as Dr. Death, and is a strong, very strong advocate for the Daniel Morecambe Foundation, having been a very, very close ties to that whole incident. Please welcome Kim Scubris. Thank you, Warwick. Oh, goodness, that uh, ties me out just thinking about all that. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Like, you know, it's been a, however many years it's been doing that. Now, I start off all my sessions by asking that one question. Uh, so this is your first. How do you define success from someone who has traveled the world, lived overseas, done amazing stuff, has a face on television so regularly? How do you define success? I think it's it's it, it it morphs over the time so i'm now 47 and as a mother of two young boys now for me success is very much defined by my inner happiness and peace so if at the end of the day i feel content and there's no niggle in my tummy then i feel successful i think the three barometers i use for success and i have over the past or since i was 20 and first picked up a microphone for channel 7 is my head my heart and my gut feeling and i have to say warwick that out of the three of them the one that if i've ignored my gut feeling that's when i've face planted because the gut kind of defines it's it's overridden my heart i know i've gone for the bad boy and i've certainly face planted or i've thought this is the way i should go with my career and used my mind when i've ignored the niggle in my gut that's when i've tripped up so for me to be peaceful at the end of the day and to have that real true happiness of heart that to me defines success and i'm very grateful to feel that most days these days so I have to ask, how did you get started in in journalism and and on TV? Because at this day and age, journalism and TV has shifted dramatically to the the place of authority and destination that it was previously. So, how did you get started, and how have you lasted so long 
in a medium that is uh, rumoured to be quite fickle? Oh, I believe the rumours. <laughs> it's very <laughs> fickle. <laughs> Seriously, it's, uh, it's one of the most fickle industries around, I can tell you that. Look, um, I grew up, you know, in Sydney in a working class family. Uh, my surname is Latvian uh, origins and is actually Skuskubris. So it's got a silent J, S-K-U-J-S-K-U-B-R-I-S. And um, as I always joke, you know, seriously, if my father hadn't shortened it when he got married, I'm sure I would have been destined for SBS television. And uh, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with that. But um, I had a strange surname, red hair freckles. I did not even like having my photo taken, but I loved chatting and I loved writing. And as uh, all my school report cards say, Kim was delight to teach, but she talks too much in class. And that kind of defines my, my, school, <laughs> uh, my school days. But I had a wonderful English teacher in grade nine who really inspired me to follow my passion of writing, which was very much uh, storytelling. And I had an amazing tutor at university. I, we moved to Queensland, to Brisbane when I was a teenager. And a tutor of mine literally dragged me up to the TV stations and said, you've got a naturally deep voice for a female. Uh, I really think you would love TV. I was terrified. And, you know, all my family friends and well-meaning parents' friends were like, oh, Kim, you know, TV's so competitive. You know, look, why don't you do events management and, and do um, marketing because you, it's a safer business. And I guess that's the first thing I'd like to say to your um, wonderful listeners is, you know, just go for it. Someone's got to do it. And if you back yourself, which is eventually what I did with the help of family and friends who helped me get over my self-doubt, uh, I got into it and I did lots of unpaid work experience, fell in love with pictures, fell in love with writing to and with pictures. So you're telling a double message and basically the rest is history. Got a cadetship age 20 while I was doing my degree and have been very lucky to have wonderful mentors in the industry since. I love that concept uh, of people who love you trying to keep you safe. Uh, same thing happened to me when I was leaving the IT industry to start my own business, my family were like, oh no, stay in IT, it's safe. How, how much impact do you think that it's, from your experience, because you've done a lot of work with other people who are wanting, you've done media training, and we're going to talk about that in a sec. How much impact does that being safe stunt people from reaching their potential? Oh, look, I think it has a dramatic impact on people. I think from the moment you're born, if you're lucky enough to be born into a loving family and have wonderful environment, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. Let's think about that. From the start, you are surrounded by people who want to protect you, want to nurture you, want to keep you safe. And if you don't have, uh, say, an entrepreneurial thread running through your family or friends or, or people who are juggernauts in your business or industry that you're lucky enough to come across, then it is very common for people to take that safe path. And I know people that have stayed in the same business and even stay, lived in the same street for 50, 60 years. And that's great if they're happy. As I said at the start, my definition of happiness, of success rather, is pure happiness. But I love and what makes me shine now is helping people who realise, hey, there is more for me. I want to step outside my comfort zone and I want to know how I can face my peers because they are crippling for people, Warwick. And it mm. is very easy. 
I made a huge decision three years ago to actually turn my back on what I truly loved. I feel so grateful to have truly loved my journalism career for 23 years full time. I have two young sons and I got to a point I didn't want the phone call at 2am to suddenly pack a bag and go away for who knows how long to possibly a dangerous situation. And I was blessed that Channel 7 turned around and said, okay, kiddo, go freelance and uh, we'll see what happens. And so that was terrifying. When you um, stepped away from Channel 7, you also did a couple of side, uh, what do they call them? Um, side gigs, side hacks. So what, you do some media training, you do some other, what, what are some of the other things that you do besides doing some of that freelance journalism now? Well, over for about 20 of my 25, 20, now 26 years in journalism, as a side, you know, you were expected to be out there and um, obviously flying the flag for the network. And I fell in love with emceeing and particularly, you know, with the wonderful causes that the different networks will sponsor. So it might have been a children's charity. It may have been work you mentioned at the start. I was one of the first journos on the scene when Daniel Morecambe disappeared. And I was very much um, honoured last year with offered to be an ambassador for the Daniel Morecambe Foundation. So I've built a very strong relationship with his parents over the years. But um, in MC work, and then naturally to be asked in as the working journo for media training, it really piqued my interest in helping people and basically becoming a consultant in various areas of communication. So in the last three years, I've built up my own consultancy business and I work with dozens of individuals and companies uh, on various levels. It may be the power of storytelling. It may be getting over the fear of public speaking, uh, certainly crisis management and media training and MC work like yourself, you know, you're one of my mentors with the MC, MC side, Warwick. But the thing is, I always believe you can always get better. And I truly believe that as much as I'd like to, I like to think I help my clients. I always take something away from the experience with them too. And I just love what I do now because ultimately it's about um, it's about helping people. Yeah. Hey, um, there's probably a few listeners who are thinking, oh, mate, I hate speaking. I hate getting in front of a crowd. What would be your top three tips on people who are just that, they're not terrified. They don't go into shock, but they're just a bit scared of getting up in front of a, a group of people. What would be your top three tips on what can make it easier for them to step forward and, and give that a short presentation? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> who came up with the Imagine Your um, Audience Naked. But I'll tell you now, that does not work for me. I, I love my audiences, but uh, my top tip would be, yeah, don't, don't listen to anyone who says you'll get over your, your nerves by thinking about your audience naked. I don't know where that came from. But as a side hunt, I would say that know your stuff, right? So don't be a slave to your notes. Know your material and make sure that you don't uh, become a slave to the lectern. I really encourage any of my clients that as much as it's uh, a comfort zone to stand there and clutch a lectern or stand behind a sign, partly behind a sign, you have to empower yourself. A powerful presenter and speaker is someone who opens up to their audience and they feel like they connect with them on a physical, emotional and from that uh, material level. So really know what you want to say. Make sure if you've got your message right, you're going to be great. If you don't know your message and you underline what you want them to leave with, then you're dead in the water. So it's really important, not just the words you're saying, but how you make your audience feel. So that would be the number one thing. But on a side note of that, 
would be you have to know your audience. So what you might think you'd like to share with an audience on one day may not connect with an audience in another forum. So it's really important to know who you are connecting with. And I say with, not to. No one likes to be sold to, talked at, spoken at. They like to listen, you want to share with and have that connection. And that's how I approach everything. Even today, having the pleasure to be on your show, Warwick, I'd like to think, you know, it, it, it's a privilege. I feel honoured that you'd uh, want me to come on here and share some of my insights. But for me, I receive so much back as well. So it's a reciprocal relationship. But know your stuff and make sure you know your audience. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. And it's interesting, talking about podiums, you see some people gripping onto the podium as if it's a lifeboat and their, their knuckles go white. And it just makes everyone quite uncomfortable, doesn't it? Absolutely. And look, if I, you can indulge me, you know, everyone that knows me knows I'll bang on about this till the cows come home. Don't vomit facts and figures over people. I mean, I work with engineers and they lovingly say to me, Scoobs, seriously, I went to university and I had a personality lobotomy. You've got to help me. What am I going to do? I've got to write this. I've got to present this report that's just really boring. How am I going to present it? And I can tell you now, I've even made arsenic sound sexy. Oh, hello. So, you know, it's, uh, it's the way you think outside the square. And uh, starting with a story or a prop can do that. For instance, this particular engineer had to talk about the effect of arsenic being sent to China and being uh, exported out of Australia and how much is exported. And I said, look, I know bugger all about arsenic, but I know it's lethal. Tell me, with a teaspoon of arsenic, how many people would die? And he said, oh, about 50 I said, all right, you're presenting to a luncheon. Stick a teaspoon in your pocket, get up on stage and don't say a word. Stand there, pull out a teaspoon and hold it up to the audience. A, that they're going to stop what they're doing. So they're going to wonder what on earth this engineer is doing holding out a teaspoon. But guess what? There are teaspoons on the table. If they don't have one on the table, they're going to know surely what a teaspoon looks like. And your opening statement's going to be, I'm holding up enough arsenic in this teaspoon to kill 50 people. Every year, we export 70,000 tons of it to China. Hit yeah, in between the lines. That's going to get their course, attention. Make them think. So yeah. think outside the square, guys. Yeah, I like it. That's awesome. Hey, um, back to you, because thank you for those presentation tips. Back to you. So what's the future hold for Kim Scroob Scoobris without a J? You're... <laughs> Still doing, Scroobus, you screwed it up. All right. I <laughs> know. Oh it's all good. Um, uh, look, hey, my, my wife's maiden name was Varna Gulasuria, all 15 letters. So, you know, <laughs> losing a J is nothing. Uh, <laughs> so, that's a, her, one of her life goals was I've got to marry a man with, with you know, a five letter surname. Not because I want to, you know, take on his name. I just want mine to be shorter. Um, <laughs> and luckily found me, Mary, five, five letters. Fantastic. Hey, uh, so what's, what's in the future for you? So, you're still doing a bit of freelance journalism. You're still doing a bit of emceeing. What, what other things? What's, what's the go for you this year? Well, for starters, just an, I just married Scott Craig, a bloke with two first names. So there it is. So Kim Craig. And uh, <laughs> not realising that anyone who's a Kath and Kim fan, you know, the show, the comedy, it's yeah. uh, on the Seven Network. And when I told my boss at Seven I was getting married and what the surname was, he said, oh, you won't be changing your surname. I said, no, no, no. Scoobris is unusual. You know, of course I'll keep it. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. Kim Craig, look at me, look at me, Kimmy. And I went, oh, you've got to be kidding. I hadn't even realised. So, yeah, so it just, the, the hits keep coming with me and names. But anyway, back to what you're saying. Oh, look, 
I, uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm blessed. I work with some beautiful organisations and charities that keep me busy with my MC work. And, uh, you know, just like you, Warwick, for me, the power of word of mouth and your authenticity and your credibility uh, are what really, I guess, have worked for me in the sense of um, driving my business. And I'm very grateful to say that I'm busy working with, with um, individuals from, you know, on the power of storytelling and also getting them over the fear of public speaking. Just because you can become a CEO doesn't mean you know how to address your staff powerfully or, mm. or the board or, or go and work, um, go out there as a representative of the, you know, of the industry. So I'm very much focusing on that. And I'm very much focusing on my workshops with storytelling with business and uh, helping people realise that the media really isn't as scary as uh, you might think it is if you know how to manage it. So, yeah, yeah that's what I'm doing. And I'm a mum of two boys. So I love to, I'm taking that passion into the classroom and love reading and helping them with their writing. They're in primary school. And uh, I guess also now as an ambassador for the Daniel Morecambe Foundation, I'm really proud to be working with them and Act for Kids. So this year I'm off on a trek to raise money and awareness of the amazing work Act for Kids does. And uh, that's probably where my heart truly lies. Uh, you know, I'd love to give to everything, but you can't possibly give to everything. So yeah. I've definitely focused on children and I'm working with those organisations closely as well. So, yeah, I'm loving that. So, and uh, working on me, I've had knee surgery recently and that's had given me time to stop and think. Mm -hmm. And I think the more you grow and the older you get, you know, you, your definition of success changes and should. So that's, yeah. uh, I guess, where things are at for me. Well, as, as we finish up, give us a couple of things. What do you wish you knew earlier? What do you wish young Kim could, uh, could have known to shortcut some of those painful moments in time, be it running business, be it personally? What are, what are a couple of things that uh, you wish you'd known earlier? I think listening to my dad more. <laughs> I hate to admit it. But my dad's a real entrepreneur. Um, my mum and dad are amazing role models for me. And, you know, obviously as a young one and, and a product of them and a hothead and stubborn and uh, strong, I went out and carved my own way. But I look back and some of the tips they gave me that I was like, oh, I'll do it this way. Of course, they were right. And I've always said to them, you are right. But you have to learn along the way. I would say to stop worrying so much about what other people think. And in television, that was really tough. I grew up on television, even now. I work with a lot of the councils in Queensland and the mayors are still call me kiddo and scoobs because I travel around Queensland chasing cyclones and whatnot. But it's very hard when you're working, you know, in front of the camera and you may have nailed a story and then someone might turn around to you and say, oh, I prefer your hair straight than curly. Or I prefer your hair curly than straight. It sounds trivial, Warwick, but, you know, you've worked your butt off to get this exclusive. And I feel like saying, well, you really need to do, do something about that monobrow you call eyebrows. But I'm not going to say anything to you because... I know when you watch me on TV, you feel you've got a right to say that. Yeah. So you learn to get a thick skin. And I suppose if my 20-year-old self had known not to worry so much at the time, it would have, I suppose, helped me along the way. It never stopped me doing what I did. But, you know, there were tears. There were times of self-doubt. Yeah. So certainly not to worry so much about what people think. To really back myself and always realise that at the end of the day, that giving is so much more rewarding than receiving. And in a cutthroat game like television journalism, 
you know, you're almost expected to strive for that next level and, and be that overseas correspondent and all of that. But I never wanted to do that by walking, you know, and trampling over other people. And I'm proud that I never did. And I think that's something that, you know, I'm really glad I did listen to my folks for. Um, certainly for anyone that's considering props and their video, you know, a lot of people are embracing video now and I do help people with that on their phones and whatever. Do remember folks, do not work on camera with kids and animals. <laughs> that is definitely another thing. I really wish I'd remembered that. I've been peed on by more animals live on air than you'd care to think about. Yeah. And uh, so that adage is, is really true. But um, <laughs> I certainly wish your listeners every success. And uh, as I say, you know, I wish them all the best in the next chapter of their story. And I probably say to you, I was talking to my father about you yesterday, Warwick, and um, he reminded me of one of his favorite quotes. So I'd love to leave you with this, which is strive not to be a success, but rather to be of value. Fantastic. And that's from um, that, uh, you know, he's got half a brain. He said, Albert Einstein. <laughs> but I love that. You know, strive not to be a success, but rather be of value. And I think if we can leave this earth feeling of value to people, then that makes me feel successful and have a happy heart. That's gold. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, I've had a ball with you as always. And um, as I said, I think 2019 is going to be a cracker for everyone. So wishing you all major success. Thanks, Kim. You've been listening to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Merry. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. GetMoreSuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy your success. <laughs>